Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. It's so good to have you with us. Today, believe it or not, is lesson number 10 in our Rise and Build series, our summer project that we started all the way back in June. After today, there's only three more installments, and then it's Labor Day weekend, and as Phil mentioned a moment ago, which usually signals the end of summer. And so if the next couple of sermons are boring, or if they seem to drag a little bit, we're doing it on purpose, uh, because we don't want summer to come to an end. Uh, which reminds me of the man who was diagnosed with a terminal illness and given only four months to live. And his buddy, uh, a compassionate guy, said to him, what are you going to do? How are you going to spend the rest of your life? And he said, I've already made plans to vacation with my in-laws for four months. (laughs) His friend was a little confused and said, why would you do something like that? He said, if I went on a trip with my in-laws for four months, it would feel like the longest four months of my life. (laughs) Mom and pops, I'm glad you're not here this morning. I knew they weren't going to be here. That's why I told that little story. I'll have to make it right with my brother-in-law and his family after the service. All right. For the first six weeks of this series, we took a look at the Old Testament book of Ezra. And I'm sorry I don't have the time this morning for review, except to say that the first two groups of exiles that went back to Jerusalem after 70 years of captivity in Babylon, they built the temple and the altar. And that was their assignment. That's what they went to Jerusalem to do. That was the call that God had given to them. First Zerubbabel, he took the first group, and then Ezra took the second group, and their assignment was to rebuild. They did that. They accomplished their mission. Not long after that, God stirred the heart of a man by the name of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah led a third group of exiles to Jerusalem to continue the Jerusalem rebuilding project. And once in Jerusalem... Nehemiah challenged the people to rally together and put their city back on the map. You see, even though Zerubbabel and Ezra had done their job and they now had a church to attend, the temple doors were open, they had uh, restored the worship service and people were coming to church again. But still the scripture tells us that even though the people were making some progress, they were living in trouble and disgrace. And the reason being, the wall of the city was still unsecure. It was completely ruined by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 BC. It remained in piles of rubble, and the gates that connected the city had been burned with fire. And so when Nehemiah, a Jewish captive living in Persia, first heard the report, the Bible tells us he sat down and wept. And he was consumed with sadness of heart. Now, keep in mind that Nehemiah had never been to Jerusalem, not even for a day. He never made a visit to Jerusalem. His Jewish parents lived there, that was their hometown, before the destruction. 
But Nehemiah, at age 30, at this time, he was born in captivity. He had never been to Jerusalem, never knew what was taking place there or what had happened, never experienced a worship service of the glory of God in Jerusalem. He only had the stories that people had told him. And yet he was willing to give up his dream job as cupbearer to the king, a very honorable and prestigious position in the royal court, and make his way to his parents' hometown. Any idea why Nehemiah would do something like that? Because even though he lived in Babylon, his heart was in Jerusalem. I'm going to say that again, and I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit will explode that line and statement into your heart. Nehemiah lived in Babylon, but his heart was in Jerusalem. You see, Nehemiah enjoyed and experienced the best that Babylon had to offer. I mentioned a few moments ago, he was cupbearer to the king. He had it made. He sat at the king's table for every meal. He ate the king's meat. He drank the king's wine. And still there was an emptiness in his heart. See, for Nehemiah, there was a Jerusalem pull. He was spiritually drawn to the holy city. And even though he couldn't articulate it or explain why, he didn't know where the impulse was coming from, he knew deep down in his heart that he belonged in Jerusalem. That's where he needed to be. And that reminds me of the New Testament passage that we have in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verses 2 through 4. Set your mind on things above. Set your heart, set your affections. Set your thoughts on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears... And trust me, one day he will appear for the second time. He's coming back, make no mistake. And when he does appear, then you also will appear with him in glory. Amen. We're encouraged to set our affections on heavenly things, not just earthly things. Jesus said the same thing to his disciples in the closing moments of his life when he engaged them in the communion supper, what we're going to celebrate in just a few minutes. Jesus said to his disciples during a prayer, you are not of this world. You're not of this world. You may live here, but in Christ, our hearts are not here. We belong to God's eternal home. That's who we are. And again, it was Paul who said, I urge you, brothers and sisters, I beg of you, I beseech you, I appeal to you, in view of God's mercy, not his wrath, not his judgment or his disapproval, his displeasure, but in light of his mercy, Romans 12, 1 and 2, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Another way to say that is we live in this world, but our hearts are not here. Our hearts belong to God. And like David, we long for his presence. We long 
to know our God intimately as our one thing. That's precisely how Nehemiah felt when he was sitting there in Persia, longing to be in Jerusalem. He knew God had more for him than what he was experiencing in Babylon. He knew God had a better plan for his life than just being a successful cupbearer. And after the Jerusalem pull, after Nehemiah felt the tugging of the Lord in his heart, he did three things. And we covered all these in our series so far. Three things that Nehemiah did. The scripture tells us he sat down and wept, he kneeled down and prayed, and he was determined to rise up and build. One more time. He sat down and wept, he carried a burden. Then he kneeled down in prayer, he, he prayed that burden, and then he was determined in his heart of hearts to rise up and build. And last Sunday, Pastor Chris did an amazing job highlighting the efforts of Nehemiah as he rallied the people together overcame the opposition of the enemy and secured the wall, repairing the gates, all 10 of them. Anybody want to stand and recite the 10 gates that we learned without looking at your notes? Just kidding. Without hesitation, Nehemiah admitted there was no way that he could have accomplished that on his own. In fact, he acknowledged in the scripture, he said this, the gracious hand of God was upon me. And how many of you have that same testimony? Know that we can't do anything apart from the grace of God. But with God's grace, as we heard earlier, we can do all things. That's the key element in our lives. It's the grace of God. All right, let's look at Nehemiah chapter 5, the verses that we want to cover for today, beginning with verse 1. Now the men and their wives, they raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Please see, it was not just an outcry, it was what? A great outcry. And it wasn't against the enemy of their souls, it was against their Jewish brothers. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous, and in order for us to eat, in order for us to stay alive and survive, we must get grain. Others were saying we're mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our homes to get the grain that we need during the famine. Still others were saying we've had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. And although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to servitude or slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Okay, here in Nehemiah chapter 5, we have yet another wave of opposition coming against Nehemiah and the people of God. And we learned this in one of the lessons, I don't remember which one, that every time we try to do something good for God, every time the Lord prompts us to do something and we step out in faith to do it, what happens? We see opposition of the enemy. Here's another wave of opposition. But this time it's not the devil trying to be, bring fear and apprehension to the wall builders. It's not the ungodly men with evil intent like Tobias and Sanballat causing trouble and trying to shut the whole project down. No, this time in Nehemiah chapter 5, a growing concern among the people was the severe famine that was in the land. 
And because of a lengthy drought that was taking place at that time, their crops had failed. And how many of you know, without any grain, people don't eat and bills don't get paid? And for a community, that can be a recipe for disaster. To make matters worse, some wealthy members of the Jewish community, they were capitalizing on the extreme conditions. And people of substance, people that had some finance, they were loaning their relatives and friends and their neighbors money at a high interest rate. And again, when the crops continued to fail and the people couldn't pay their bills, not only did they foreclose on the loans, but they took away their property. These Jewish members living in the community that had wealth, they began to snatch up all of the property of the poor people who were unable to pay their bills. It was the same property that represented their share of the Canaan inheritance. And when God divided the, the land, way back in the book of Numbers, when he allotted each of the 12 tribes of Israel their fair share, he explicitly said to the elders and to the leaders of God's people, the inheritance in the land is never to be transferred to anyone else in any way. Numbers chapter 36 and verse 9 says, No inheritance may pass from one tribe to another, for each Israelite tribe is to keep the land it inherits. You see, this was God's way of leveling the playing field and making sure that everybody was set up for success. God cares about all of his people from the least to the greatest, and he gave everyone the same inheritance. He was very fair in distributing that land. But here... In Nehemiah chapter 5, the wealthy were exploiting the poor. And they had figured out a way to legally swindle the people out of their land. And they justified their actions by saying, you know, we're putting food on their table. I mean, come on, we're being compassionate people. If we didn't give them the bread to eat, if we didn't give them what they have right now, they wouldn't even be able to survive. So we are the only reasons they're even making it right now. However, in the process, they were taking away the poor people's ability to sustain themselves. And with their inheritance gone, once the famine was over, uh, the only alternative they had for future generations for their sons and their daughters was servitude. There was no way they would ever be financially free. And when Nehemiah heard about all this, he hit the roof. I mean, he went ballistic and he wasn't happy. And in Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 9, he said, what you're doing is not right. It's not right what you're doing. It flies in the face and is contrary to everything that God has ever done to provide for the poor and needy and the oppressed in the land. You're going against everything that the heart of God represents. And not only did Nehemiah shut the whole money-making, high-interest scheme down on the spot, he said, I want you to pay it back right now. Give it all back. Look at Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 11. Nehemiah said, you must restore, give it back, their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, everything that you've taken, their homes. And I want you to do it this very day. Don't wait till tomorrow or next week. I want you to give it back to them right now. You repay the interest, 
You charged them when you lent them money, when you gave them grain or new wine or olive oil. And I love verse 12, Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 12. They replied to Nehemiah, who was rebuking them like crazy, we will give back everything. How much? We will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. You see, the wealthy people who were taking advantage of the situation and leveraging the plight of the poor, they came under heavy conviction. They knew what they were doing was wrong. And they needed Nehemiah to call them out on it. Somehow they allowed their hearts to be consumed and filled with greed and they, it wasn't right. And the scripture says immediately, they didn't even have to think about it, but immediately they changed and they corrected their selfish behavior. Amen. Now those of you who've been around our church for any length of time, especially you, you community Christian church lifers, people that I say have been around for 20 years or so, you know that it would be very difficult for me to read a portion of scripture like this and not address the poor and needy in our world. I mean, you know how soft I am when it comes to those who are in need. You see, here in America, God has given us a tremendous opportunity. I put it in the priceless gift category. And now I'm talking about the privilege, and I mean that, the privilege and the honor that God has given to us to help others who are less fortunate than we are. God has graciously put us in position to change the destiny of other people with our generous giving. And for many, many people, that's their only hope. We're their answer. And some of you might interpret what I just said to you as a chore. Some might even call it a curse. But I refer to it as a God-ordained blessing. Because the scripture plainly says, and it was Jesus doing the talking, give and it shall be given to you. Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. That's the sequence. That's the order. You give and God gives back to you. Jesus also said at other times, it's a greater blessing to give than to receive. And so it excites me in the scripture when I see people reaching out and giving money to the poor and being conscious of others who are less fortunate than we are. Now, as a pastor, I had to decide a long time ago if I was going to skirt or sidestep certain issues that are difficult to talk about in church. And it didn't take me long. In fact, I learned this in a hurry that many people don't like when the preacher talks about money. I mean, they start to cringe on the inside, get uncomfortable. Most people say, preacher, have at it. Talk about any subject in the Bible you want to, but that money thing, you might want to leave that alone. People just don't like it sometimes when we talk about money. Some do, most don't. I've got a pastor friend, been pastoring his own church for nine or ten years now. And not too long ago, 
he confided in me that he was extremely discouraged and he didn't even know if he wanted to continue in ministry. He was on the verge of quitting uh, being a pastor. And he told me one of the main sources of, the, of his discouragement was the fact that his church members were not providing enough finances to meet the needs of the ministry. So I listened to him talk. Listened to him tell me how uh, they were always under budget, never had enough money, he had to work, uh, and he's always scrambling, always under stress. And so I asked him, how many times do you talk to your congregation about tithing or giving to the poor? He looked at me and said, never. I never talk about money. And the reason I don't talk about money is because the congregation doesn't want me to talk about money. And I really wanted to help this guy. And I told him, without the biblical stewardship piece, it's probably not going to change. You see, the truth is the tithe. Giving 10% of our income back to the local church, that's the only way any local church can survive. And I'm confident that the Bible teaches tithing. Believers giving back to God one-tenth of their income, an offering to the Lord to say thank you for everything that God has provided us with. And in the scripture, it's very clear. God says the tithe is holy. It belongs to me. And the reason I think God set it up that way is because most of us need a benchmark or a point of reference. Over the past 31 years, every time I've asked you for money, and it's been often, God bless you, with the lands and the buildings and the renovations over the years, I think we've had probably nine or ten capital campaigns. But every time I've announced a campaign, most of you would respond and say, well, how much am I supposed to give? Uh, what is my what's the expectation? What's the number? See, we need a number. We, we have to know what's my number. And I think that's why God set it up this way. He gave us a number. He took the mystery out of it. And he said, here's the number. It's 10%. 10% of your income. It's called a tithe. And with the tithe, the trusted leadership of the church comes up with the budget. And with the budget, we meet the needs, the financial needs of the church. And one of the church's top budget priorities I mean, every local church should be the poor and needy of our world. In fact, when Paul went into ministry and the other apostles acknowledged that he was called, they said to him, we want you to remember the poor. Go, go have at it. Uh, preach whatever message you want. But they gave him the instruction, remember the poor. I think that has to be a priority among every local church, a willingness to get involved and help people who are less fortunate than we are, give them the opportunity to change their destiny with unselfish giving. Isaiah 1.17 says, learn to do good. In other words, it doesn't come natural for us. Thank you, appreciate it. Learn to do what's right. Seek justice, defend the oppressed, Take up the cause of the fathers. Plead the case of the widow. See, that's what we've been trying to do here at our church over the last 20 or 25 years with our mission and outreach endeavor. Plead the case and the cause of the widow and the orphan and the people who are in great need. 
Now, in just a moment, I'm going to show you a video that Sujo John made for us. Some of you will remember that name. You'll recognize the name Sujo John. He's been with us as a guest speaker, I think at least twice here at our church in the last 10 years. Sujo John should have died on 9-11. That's part of his testimony. He said the Lord spared him. He should have been part of that um, incident that happened uh, that so many people died. And because he thought the Lord had saved his life miraculously, he went into the ministry full-time, and right now he is fiercely involved in a fight against human sex trafficking and slavery. And he, we support him. Community Christian Church supports him. He's going to be here with us on November the 12th as our guest speaker. That's the date of our Give Back Sunday. So I'm going to show you that video in just a minute, but before we do, I, I just want to share from my heart and tell you, I want to inform you that we're a little bit behind in our giving this year. Community Christian Church is behind in our giving. This is only the second time in 31 years that I've ever had to tell you that. We've been tracking our financial giving since year one, 1992, and the current year has always been better than the previous year. We've done that throughout the history of our church. Now, last year, it was our 30-year anniversary, and I told you that God was going to bless us. There's just an anointing that falls on the number 30. Can't find it in the Bible, just felt it in my heart. And God did. I mean, we blew 2021, the finances, uh, uh, out, out of the room. Uh, we, we did so good last year. It was our best year ever. So I'm not comparing it to last year, but right now we're in danger of falling behind 2021. And I'm not happy about that. I don't think you would be either or should be. There's a blessing, the scripture says, that comes when we tithe. And when we are faithful to the tithe. God says he opens the windows of heaven, he pours out blessings that we can't even receive. I want that for our congregation. I want that kind of blessing, that covenant blessing by God. And I know it's been a tough year. I'm very sensitive to the fact that gas prices are high. You can't buy much at the grocery store like you used to with, with $100. I mean, inflation is up. The economy is struggling. But the tithe is the tithe. And the tithe is holy to the Lord. And so all I'm going to do in a very casual way, this is not a hard sell, just check your finances. Just take a look at it and see where you're at. Because I believe that when we make that choice, we sacrifice that tithe to the Lord, the Lord will meet our needs. Okay, let's look at this video together. You know, I believe we have a compelling vision here at our church. We have a desire to reach out to our community and abroad. We want to meet the needs of the families of our church. And your faithful giving helps us to do that. I'm so honored to be a part of a church that can reach out be beyond ourselves and have the widows, the orphans, and the poor in their mind. In the book of James, James said that's the kind of religion that God accepts and acknowledges and loves. Okay, let's prepare for our communion time. If you don't know, there's a communion emblem packet somewhere near your seat. We're going to take those emblems together in just a minute. 
The scripture tells us that it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed when one of his own disciples, a close brother, stabbed him in the back. It was on that night that Jesus took bread and after giving thanks, he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is for you. It's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper ended, Jesus took the cup. Again, he gave thanks. He passed the cup to his disciples. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, every time you take the bread and the cup, you proclaim or you declare the Lord's death till he comes. Jesus appealed to his disciples and to the church to remember his death on the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus paid full redemption for our sins. Do you know what that means? He redeemed us back to the Father. We were away, we were apart, there was no way we could get back to God. Jesus became our redemption. And how many know it was a pretty steep price tag on that cross? You know, the book of Revelation, when you look through it, it, it talks a lot about the death of Jesus. And remember that it was the Apostle John who wrote the book of Revelation after he received it. It was a heavenly vision of what was to come. And do you remember the opening verse of the book of Revelation? It was a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what God gave to John. A picture, a clear understanding, a revelation of Jesus Christ. And as a part of that revelation, on one occasion, John saw an angel. And in the angel's hand, there was a scroll, there was an ancient writing, it was all rolled up, it was sealed. And John began to cry and to weep because he knew that on that scroll there was an important message that he needed to hear, but there was nobody in heaven or on earth that could open the scroll. The scripture says nobody was worthy to break the seals and open the scroll, and John was having a way with it. He just he couldn't believe it. Totally upset. Finally, one of the elders that was seated around the throne, he said to John, John, don't be upset, don't cry, stop weeping. We found someone who's worthy to open the scroll and to break the seal. His name is Jesus. He's the lion from the tribe of Judah. He can open the scroll. He can tell us the message. He can relate it to us. And the reason Jesus, also known as the Lamb of God, was worthy and able to open that scroll is because he went to the cross and he shed his blood. And the scripture said with his blood, not only did he make atonement for our sins, but check it out, here's the, here's, here's the quote, he purchased people for God. With his blood, with his death on the cross, the same death that Jesus asks us to remember every time we come to the communion table, the scripture says he purchased men and women for God. Every tongue, every nation, every tribe. That's what he did. Every single one of you in this room, everyone watching online, everyone listening to my voice, you're a part of that group. When Jesus shed his blood on the cross, 
and gave you the gospel message and you received it, he purchased you for God. He made you a part of the kingdom of God, translated you from darkness to his marvelous light. And just like Nehemiah, when he left his cushy job in Persia and made his way to Jerusalem, and he said, I feel compelled, I feel pulled to go there because he lived in Persia, but his heart was in Jerusalem. That's where our hearts are. They're with our God. We live here until God calls us home. This is our home earth, but our hearts are not here, friends. Our hearts are not here. Our hearts are with him. He purchased you and presented you to God. And he entered into a covenant relationship with us. That's what this communion service is all about. It reminds us of the covenant and because of that covenant, you are a recipient of every good thing that God has to offer. Forgiveness of sins, salvation, freedom from addictions, every social, emotional, financial, relational, physical issue. He paid for our healing and for our salvation. He went to the cross, the scripture says, he carried every sin, every iniquity on his shoulders, but he also carried our sorrows and our griefs, the things that weigh us down, the issues in our life that cause anxiety and stress. He carried those things for you so you wouldn't have to carry them alone. There's healing in this cup this morning. It belongs to you. This is not our home. It's in him. Father, we thank you. We thank you for being worthy, for having a name above every name. And once again, Lord, we bow to the name of Jesus. It's unequal. It's unmatched. It's in a league all by itself. There is no higher name than the name of Jesus. And Lord, you purchased us with your blood. You redeemed us. You made us a part of your heavenly kingdom. And I pray, Lord, for every need represented among this group of people, those who are hearing this message, Lord, that you would extend your miraculous healing touch. Let there be, Father, during this communion time and our closing song, a wave of your healing power come across, sweep across the people of God. Lord, we have a lot of trouble today. In like fashion, when the report came that the people were living in trouble and disgrace, Lord, we could describe that as our day today. And you're asking us to do three things to carry the burden, to pray it, and then to rise up and build. And I'm asking, Lord God, that you would do something deep in our hearts, something beyond just acknowledging 
that you are King and you are Lord. Lord, help us to appropriate the good work that you've done in our lives, that we would be, Lord, living examples to our world, walking worthy of the high calling that you've given to us, setting our affections and our minds on things above. Minister your people in these closing moments, we pray. In the name of Jesus, let's take the bread and the cup together. I've mentioned to you on several occasions that our intercessors, they gather together every Sunday morning before the start of the service. And one of their prayers is that the presence of the Lord would be with us in a tangible way. We, how many of you know we need his presence? But then there are times when there just seems to be a little extra. And I feel that this morning. During the communion service, I, I, I just felt a special anointing as though God was ministering in a, in a very special way to you. And we're so thankful when that happens. I trust that you were able to receive that. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to just have one more prayer. I want to take advantage of what I think is a, a great time in his presence. And I want you to, when I close out in prayer, I want you to pray for the person that's on your heart right now. Maybe you didn't mention it during the service, but now that I brought it to your attention, you're thinking about someone in particular, someone who might be going through a difficult time, someone who's struggling, got a bad medical report. Father, we just lift these needs to you. Thank you for filling this place with your presence. Lord, it seems to happen every time we exalt the name of Jesus when we, when we focus in on that name like we have today. Lord, there's so much pain and so much brokenness in our world. Jesus said one of the signs of the end times would be great deception, that the enemy would have a field day with the people of God knowing that his time is short. Lord, we pray for those who are going through it right now with opposition, with the assault of the enemy, with wave after wave of trouble. Raise up a standard against the enemy, we pray, O oh God. No weapon that's fashioned against us can prosper. We pray for our families. We pray for our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers. We lift them to you, Lord God. We thank you for the power that you've given to the church. And we ask, Lord God, that you would send streams of healing. You only have to say the word, Lord. It's not a difficult matter. You only have to say it, and it would be done. And so those prayers, Lord, that we've been praying on our hearts, the ones that we've lifted to you on a regular basis, Lord, hear them and respond. We honor you in this place, oh God, you're so worthy. Thank you, Jesus. We pray all these things in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. It's been good to have you here today. We say it often, but I really mean it today. Um, we have a life group leaders meeting, dinner as a matter of fact, taking place right after the service. Uh, make your way to the student center. I know you're going to want to go upstairs because it's usually up in the mezzanine. We've changed the location to the student center. So make your way there as quickly as you can. The rest of you, grab some sugar 
and a cup of coffee. God bless you. Have a great day and great week.